Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to Smarter, where we can all get smarter together. My guest this month is none other than researcher and author Ben Eubanks. Ben's going to share some fascinating findings from his latest employee research, as well as we're going to talk about his new book. Now, remember, I'll be back at the conclusion of the episode to share a few takeaways. I'm Jess Elmquist, your host. Let's get smarter together. All right, so Ben, welcome to my podcast, Smarter. I really appreciate you coming in here today. Absolutely. Glad to be here. Good to finally meet you in person, too. It's been a blast. I know. I know. Our conversations over the phone never do it justice. So it's great to be in the same room uh, talking about the things that we care about and I know that our listeners uh, care about as well. So I appreciate it. And you've been in this space a long time. And um, so why don't we do this? Let's start by kind of having you introduce yourself a little bit. I'm sure a lot of people that are listening know who you are, but those who don't, I'd love them to get context of why you're in this business, what you do. Okay, absolutely. So I could go way back. Like I wanted to be in HR when I was a kid. I didn't know what it was called yet, right? That's a sort of for another time probably. But um, right now I'm the Chief Research Officer for Lighthouse Research and Advisory. So I spend my days trying to uncover the tools, the technologies, the strategies that employers are using to support the most important asset in the business, which is the people. And so I get a, the, the thrill, the privilege, the opportunity to see the amazing tools that are out there, the, the systems, the, the software, but also I get a chance to do a lot of research. I'll probably bring some of that in the conversation today because I get to talk to different candidates, different workforce respondents, different employers about how are you facing the challenges that are going on? What are your, what are your biggest priorities right now? Um, all that kind of stuff. So that's how I spend my days. Um, I've written a couple books. Artificial Intelligence for HR was my first one. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit yes, today, for yes. sure. I can imagine it's probably relevant to the work that you're doing. Yep. Um, and then the newest book, Talent Scarcity, which is around the biggest problem that I've had employers to ask me in the last couple of years is, where are all the good people? So I, after you hear that once or twice, you're like, okay, interesting. When I heard it the 15th time, I said, I've got to write a book on this and figure it out. So <laughs> that's been the, the journey for the last little while. Yeah, so we call this podcast Smarter because we believe that we can all get smarter together. Absolutely. So this is about synergy and finding those connections, especially for people that are practitioners, that are in the trench every day, yes. supporting and helping their companies do what they need to do. And you're right, talent, we know that talent is the core to any company's success. So I love that. And so you have a podcast called We're Only Human. Talk to me a little bit about the origination of that title because that actually seems to fit right inside of your research and what you wanted to be when you grew up. Yes, so when I decided to run a podcast, I'd heard a lot of other ones and found the things that I liked about them, things that I didn't like so much. And I really wanted to have conversations with other leaders and share that with the broader world, just like you're talking about here, right, with Smarter. I realized I'm having these amazing discussions with people, like I would talk to you on the phone, and that would happen in this little bubble and no one else would get the benefit of, we come up with some crazy new idea that can help everybody, Yeah. right? So that's why I wanted to have the podcast because I could dive into those kind of discussions and really explore those concepts and, and ideas in a more public fashion. And everybody else gets the benefit of that, right? Yeah. We're all, we are only human. We all make mistakes. We all screw things up. We all have a chance to get smarter and learn more. Yeah. So. 
Yeah, the idea that podcasts create access, right? Yes. And so now we're not just having these singular conversations. We can have them for the benefit of a larger group. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, certainly I think your podcast and, and uh, Smarter uh, have that, uh, that correlation for sure. So, okay, so researcher, I mean, you're out there, you're looking at data, you're talking to tons of people because that's your full-time gig. Yes. And that's a, that's a blessing and a benefit so I'm going to ask the big question first. In 2023, what are those three, four, maybe even five big trends that you think that if you're an HR practitioner sitting in their office, working with their people every day, they may miss the forest for the tree sometimes. What are those big things if I take the lens out and I go, okay, what are we thinking about this year? What should we know about so that we're not surprised around the corner in two years? Goodness. So we can go in a lot of directions with that. I'm right? fine with that. Um, a couple of things on the broader HR front, just, just because we'll I have some hiring, new hiring data that I'm going to talk through in a little bit. But on the HR front more broadly, things like mental health and well-being are a bigger priority than they've ever been. Um, the workforce in our recent data said that, hey, their employers are making strides, they're improving in some ways, but there's still a long way to go. And so employers are not yet doing as well as the workforce would hope they would. Um, things like learning, development, growth have always been a priority. Any survey you look at for, since I started in the workplace, says this is a way to engage your people, a way to keep your people. But as more companies in the last two years have said, hey, we've got to find a way to keep these people and not lose them, right? The easiest job to fill is when we don't lose them in the first place. Yeah, that's right. And so more companies are looking to, how do we do this in a way that's, that we can afford? How can we do this in a way that's personalized and tailored? The things that Jess needs versus what Ben needs are very different. And so let's approach that. On the more on the hiring side, though, a couple of things that we're seeing more focus on pay transparency. Some of that's driven by some of the, the legal stuff, but some of that's driven just by pure candidate preference and priority. In the last couple of years, we've seen any of us, no matter where you are listening into this, have seen all of these billboards and advertisements and, oh, we'll come over here for this minutes per hour. Right? That seems like just an interesting little trend. Yeah. We're seeing the data that is encouraging more candidates to say, I need to know date the pay right up front before I decide to pursue you down this path as an employer, because I want to know, I'm sitting you know, to sift these different offers, right? Um, so the pay piece of that is important. On the employer side, recruiting automation is a big, big focus. We're, we gather some new data and compare that to two years ago. We gather the same stuff post kind of post COVID explosion and looked at that and we saw more employers saying, this is a value to us, it's making us more efficient, it's making us more focused and more capable as a recruiting and talent team. The thing that gets me is when we gathered that a couple years ago, I was like, I don't know what to expect. I have no clue what's gonna come in. So that became my benchmark to measure against. And this time around, there were 40% more employers that said, this is now adding value for us. Because you and I were chatting a little bit before we started recording yeah. about, is this the front end, is this the back end? Like, where are we in this adoption cycle? And that shows me that we are progressing along that pretty pretty steadily and we're seeing more employers getting into this group that are saying this is really adding value for us yeah i, I think you're right you know in the opportunity i have with phenom and going out and working with our customer base mm -hmm. as well as just doing strategy work and talking with people like you um those things resonate with me but let's work backwards a little bit okay. so the idea of trying to be in the recruiting and talent space without some sort of automation personalization and the ability to aggregate large groups of people and then be able to, in a equitable, fair, clean, speedy and accurate way, you're losing the race and not by like a half a second like the Olympics. 
You're losing the race by miles right now. So it feels to me like the adoption cycle of maybe some of our late adopters inside of organizations saying, I really don't want to either make the investment, right? The dollars of finally absorbing the dollars of saying, we are going to use some sort of automation and find a tool that's really going to answer our questions, not just today or tomorrow. The dollars are always those things that make us hesitate. Certainly, and in HR, to invest there is hard for a lot of organizations, especially for the groups that are outside of HR looking in. They can sometimes miss, again, that piece, right? And then the other piece, though, too, is it's just kind of scary, right? Mm -hmm. The idea of letting go and allowing technology to do some of that work. And so I do feel like, though, that people that maybe have resisted are going, wait a second here, I can't even see the starting line, let alone where that finish line is, and I don't even know if there's a finish line for sure, but do you feel like those are two big levers? It's the dollars and cents, and then it's the adoption, just psychologically of saying, I'm going to change the way that I do my work, the change management piece. For sure, so when I speak on the topic and really explore this with employers that are brand new to this topic, I've done a lot of that education since the first book came out. One of the things that I realized pretty quickly is I've gotta make this very simple it can't be about the technology and right all the, yeah. the software. I've got to make it about use cases. What problems does it solve? Do you have this issue? Okay, let's talk about that. Sometimes the answer is you just need one more person on your team and you're good to go. Yeah. But sometimes the answer is, well, guess what? You could add 10 more people and you still wouldn't be as effective, as quick, as all the adjectives you threw in there a minute. Right, right. right. We couldn't do all of those things with raw human power. And we probably shouldn't try to. Yeah. There's actually a really fun thing in the in the data, the AI science. Again, not an AI scientist, just had to dig really far into it to understand it for the book. There's a, really con- there's a really interesting concept called Moravec's Paradox. And it says that humans are really great at certain things and terrible at others. Look at my high school calculus grades and you'll know which things I'm not great at. <laughs> but computers can do that really well because it's rules-based, there's logic, it, there's a right answer and a wrong answer. Right? A lot of the things that we do in hiring are not that clean cut. Right? There's lots of answers. There's 50,000 variables, not just three variables. All those things, that complexity means that there needs to be a human in the mix somewhere but we probably shouldn't be trying to do every single piece of it ourselves because we're not designed for that. Our brains can't process that much information. We can't understand and comprehend all those things all at once. So let's let that system make the first cut of yeah. the information. Let us come in and figure out, okay, now let's, let's understand this piece beyond that. Yeah, and you see as even some of the generative AI comes out with Microsoft and Google and whatnot, they're talking about it being an assistant, right? Mm-hmm. And so that idea of let it assist us where we actually fall down or we need to be working 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and we can't do that so that we can elevate what we're doing and hyper-focus on the things that we're passionate about in this people business makes a lot of sense, which then leads me back to the that other point that you made around learning and development. I'm a learning development guy. That's kind of where I came from and cut my teeth. Um, and I believe that it's almost education first. So when I'm thinking about a company and I'm thinking about the organization and setting them up for success, hire the right people for the roles, right? The right motivational fits, the right you know competency fits. But more than that, give them the opportunity if they have the aptitude to grow by learning and development, right? And so, but we're connecting something you said earlier of if there's not enough talent out in the marketplace for some of those skilled roles, if you find someone, one of the keys to holding on to them is helping them develop. Yes. Is there is there direct, have you seen that in your research? And I know this feels like kind of the basics of HR, but a lot of organizations miss that connection point. I got a great person, now just do your great stuff. Instead of here's a great person, now how are we gonna to add to them so they're so loyal and so committed to what we're doing because we're committed to them, people are missing that. Why do you think that is, and am I getting it right? And then why do you think that is that companies are missing that commitment 
So yes, that is absolutely true. And we see in the data that candidates tell us, two out of three candidates say, I want to be evaluated not just on my skills today, but on my potential for the future. Look at me for what I can be, not just what I am right now. And I think that's a really great message for anyone listening in to say, yeah. okay, how can we do this more carefully, right? How can we do this more uh, intentionally throughout the hiring process, every potential person we're talking to, because otherwise you're, you're saying, okay, you're a great fit, great, wonderful. Let's just hope that they stick around long enough for us to ROI on this person we've hired in. Exactly. And that's never worked, right? People are not willing to do that anymore, especially. And so if we're going to be keeping our people, if we're gonna be connecting with them and developing them, we have to help them see what that career path looks like at our company. If we do not help paint that picture, for this, and by the way, this for anyone listening in who's in the HRC, guess what? We can't do this ourselves. Our hiring managers, our leaders have to come alongside us. Yeah. But if we're not painting a picture of what Jess's future looks like, then when the recruiter calls in the competition, they're going to paint a picture that has nothing to compete with in your head, right? And right. you're going to say, oh, well, this suddenly, I was okay five minutes ago, and now I'm not. And that's the, the problem we have is we may be do, doing everything right, but there are other external variables that can come in that suddenly yeah. tip that over. Yeah, I'm calling it the new talent economy because you talked about transparency as another trend as well. Mm -hmm. We see that our Gen Z population, and then we have Gen Alpha coming up right behind, right? That's gonna be working. The, the expectation around transparency, the expectation that, Ben, you've hired me, but I'm already looking over your shoulder to the next opportunity at the company from day one. I think um, different generations that have worked beforehand would say, well, no way, I don't want that to be the case. You need to put your head down, do this job for like two, three, maybe four years. Then we'll talk about what's next. That is completely, that idea is completely blown out of the water, but I don't think organizations have caught up with that yet. Um, does that ring true for you? Yes. So one of the things, bringing the, the age piece up. So we look at ghosting data, all right? I'll, I'll bring it back around. When we look at the ghosting data, the two of the top three reasons that candidates say they ghost employers come down to speed right? The hiring process yep. took too long, yep. or I got another offer that beat you to the punch. Those two things come down to speed. What we find that's really interesting is candidates who are 25 or younger are twice as likely as those that are 45 or older to have that low tolerance for something that drags on and on and on. Even though we have a great justification for it, if we're not explaining that justification to them or they don't understand how that applies to them or benefits them, they're out. Yep. And we are missing, missing the boat there. So employers have to think, Shorter cycle times, how much more can we, how can we iterate on this? It can't just be this long thing that's worked for a long time because it's not going to work in the future. Yeah, and I think you're right. I mean, this idea of, hey, I've got you in now, but let's talk about what's next for you, right? Not only the opportunity for an, another job or another job fit, and again, automation can help you help that person see the yes. future and around the corner really easy. Oh, I'm in this job today. I see that I actually could be a fit for this job tomorrow. Here's the learning and development that's sitting here for me to either opt in or it's assigned. Mm -hmm. And you're doing that at speed at levels that people couldn't before. So again, that technology baseline, again, is I think something that's really important. Um, and I, you know, it's not, it's not a judgment piece, but it's how do you think you help leaders? And we're gonna talk about leadership next because I think to me, leadership is the crux to all of this mm -hmm. still today. Technology without leaders that can speak into the data and help inspire someone to see uh, what they could potentially do without that leader in their life is so important. How do we help leaders not get frustrated with this new demand of speed, this new demand of transparency? It feels like you're letting go of your leadership 
like almost your leadership reigns. Well, I don't want to tell you that because that's my information. And that just seems so contrary to kind of how the world is opening up. Yes. So I actually heard uh, one of my good friends recently at an event. We were, we were co-presenting to a group of HR leaders. And she said, okay, when a new hire joins the company, do they have to earn trust or is it given? It's hmm, great. And we talked about that a little bit because there were people in the group that said, no, it needs to be earned. We said, well, didn't they earn it by going through this process? Isn't that about establishing trust? Like you are the right person for us. We think we can bring you in. If that's not what that's about, then what is it about? Yeah, that's right. You know, and so we talked about the importance of that piece and that's where it comes from. Transparency is interlinked with trust. There's a lot of data that show that the higher the transparency is, the more the trust there is. We had a really interesting study last year on frontline workers. We found that when they have a leader, to bring it back to this, when they have a leader that they feel supports them and enables them to do their best work, they are much more likely to rank the company, not the leader, but the company on high levels of transparency and trust, which is interesting because I was hoping in that study to say, okay, these two, let's tease those, tease those apart and say, okay, here's where the company fits in, here's where the worker fit, the uh, leader fits in. But everywhere I turn, there's another correlation that says these two things are so interlinked. How I see my leader and experience work with them is how I see the company overall. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think the, that leader is such a critical point and so interesting. And I think your data was 70% of a person's job satisfaction is directly tied to that leader. And so that surprised you a bit. You thought it was gonna be, or you, you weren't surprised by that, but it was you were surprised that that, that bridged over to company loyalty yes. so significantly. Like yes. you can't have one without the other in yes. some senses. Yes, everybody's throwing around the old, you know, people don't leave jobs, they leave managers. Right? That's been for a long time. I saw someone complain about that the other day, but I'm like, the data show that. We saw in this, this other study on retention that said, if you do not have a supportive manager, you are twice as likely to leave, not at some vague point far in the future, but within the next 30 days. So the, the presence of a supportive leader who really cares about you and gets you and understands you is critical there. Um, the understanding piece, you talked about trust and transparency a minute ago. The understanding piece is a prerequisite I have to have a manager that gets me, not yeah. just my job title and my pay rate and their t the tasks they've assigned me this week, but what makes me tick? The kind of work they're gonna give me that's gonna make my heart sing, and yeah. the kind of work that they're gonna give me, I'm gonna drag my feet for a week, trying to procrastinate and not do it, right? The good leaders that know those things and understand someone, they are thousands of percent more likely to actually say that that leader supports them if they have that one level of understanding yeah. first. And having worked with literally thousands of leaders over my career, what I often found is that a leader can hesitate to dive into that level of mm -hmm transparency and in some ways professional intimacy, right? I know you, you know me, because the data is so embedded in places they can't find to really truly know that individual, right? So it's time for my review or it's my weekly one-on-one. -on -one. I wanna be able to actually have a contextual conversation with you, not just a feeling conversation, mm -hmm. although those are important. My intuition as a leader is important. My inspiration as a leader is important. But if I have data underneath that, that's so critical. So getting back to the ability from, you t I love how you talk about from the time that you start to interview a person, you're starting to build trust. Mm -hmm. What if you can bring all of that data then with you, right? All of the skills that you learned that they had, and then you invite them to be a participant in that data once they're an employee and they can start making their own plan, their own career, their own succession. And then you can see that data clearly. So now you're actually saying, you and I are gonna have this conversation. Here's all of the stuff that we're working on, you and I together, all here. Now let's talk about where you're gonna go next. That data piece, I find, 
leaders sometimes hesitate to actually dig in and really have the conversation because they can't get the data clear enough. Mm -hmm. it, it's too hard and too far away from them. So if we have a place that we can bring data so it clearly tells the narrative, now we break down another barrier between the leader and the employee or that team member, and that causes, I think, a streamlined effect. To my vantage point, I think a lot of leaders want to have the conversation. They are not sure if they can or if they're accurate in having the conversation. That is one of the things we see over and over again, whether it comes to discussing pay with a, with a candidate you're about to hire, whether it comes to discussing career op opportunities with an actual employee that's working for you currently. Managers feel like they're not quite prepared, they're not equipped to do that sort of thing. Um, you may throw a fun wrinkle in there, what you're sharing. Please. I know that you and I are both AI nerds. Yep. One of the things we found in a study on career mobility last year is that when we asked workers, if you had a choice, would you rather have that first conversation, first exploration with your manager or through a piece of technology, kind of self-service? They prefer the technology about 40% more than the manager as their first entry point. And my, my take on that, because I didn't ask a follow-up, my take on that is because once you have that discussion with the manager, you can't reel it back in like, oh, never mind. I was just kidding. Yeah. Right. So some managers are going to react poorly to that, or they're going to be unsure about how to respond, or they're going to, it's going to change the relationship. So even if it's positive, it's been good up to this point saying, hey, I'm thinking about what's next. Suddenly it's like, uh, do I need to send them on that training because they may be leaving soon. And so they start changing their, the way they treat the person. So what I've been advocating for employers with that data point is give them a way to do that. Give them a way to explore and everything else. And when they're ready, they're prepared, they'll bring that to that conversation two or three different avenues and use that leader as the person who knows them best as a way to give them some influence and use the trust they built right, as a bridge to whatever's next for them. That's how we need to be enabling our leaders to do that. And unfortunately, a lot of companies have, they leave it up to chance. They, they hope that leaders able to do that. And we're seeing the data over and over again as they're telling us, I'm not ready for this. Like people are expecting so much more out of me than yeah. I'm really able to give. Yeah. I was just a great performer and they promoted me. And now suddenly, what is all this people stuff? I don't get it. Right. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's right. And as a practitioner uh, of HR and human capital and talent, what I found is that I was actually ushered into technology because I had to get there, right? Um, and so, and then became intrigued. And it's the same way, I think, as a passionate uh, a people person, right? A passionate person that wants to help other people be the best version of themselves. I think that's why HR people are in the business a lot, is I was actually then compelled to dive into AI because I saw the wisdom in it. Right, that there was this kind of foundational piece that was going to break open some of the frustration points that I've had. So doing it the old way and running into the same old walls rather than breaking down the walls or building doors in the walls didn't make sense to me, right? And so the message to CHROs to me, because I often find that our talent executives, um, our internal talent and career planning executives find that when they're going upstream to look for the time, talent, treasure to be able to invest in these types of things, there are uh, senior leaders that just don't get it. And I think CHROs especially need to put their hand inside of that technology world and truly understand what's at stake by not jumping in. Um, because although I'm at Phenom, I came to Phenom as a customer and I felt compelled to get into this world and became kind of that AI nerd because I realized, oh, I need to understand it because vocationally, it's it's an imperative for me to be successful in the next 10 or 15 years of my career. That's what we're seeing across the board, by the way. Surveys about compensation, about recruiting, about learning, about other pieces of HR technology 
over and over again, I'm seeing these responses that indicate to me that the leaders out there who are executive top level, who are making a lot of the, the key decisions are saying, these tools are no longer just a nice to have, right? If you pulled this out of my hands tomorrow, it'd be like, here's your rotary phone, here's your fax machine, good luck. Right? Awesome, it, yeah, that's, that's what a great point. So they're saying this is not just a, a tool or a system, this is a performance enablement piece for me and for my team. And if I had to go somewhere tomorrow that didn't have this in place, the first thing I'd do is bring it with me or I'd put something in place to be able to support this need because they've realized that we have the ability to serve people more deeply, right? As you're talking yeah. about the things that drew me to HR originally, yeah. being able to serve people more deeply, being able to really support our leaders so they can take care of every single person that works under them. That's what drew me into it. And yet every day it was like, oh, yeah, I've got this other, this other thing to take care of. I've got to look at these 40 resumes. I've got to reconcile this bill, I've got to, whatever else. And getting some of those things offloaded to AI, to the algorithms, to the tools, so that I can focus on the things that are truly human, that's where I did my, did my best work as an HR leader. And that's where the people listening in, yeah. are probably that's what makes their heart sing, as I said earlier. Yeah, I love that. So um, you mentioned your book earlier, Artificial Intelligence for HR. Um, and um, I want to get into that just a little bit. Uh, I just actually, a couple weeks ago, was at South by Southwest. I got invited to speak. And my topic was um, uh, AI doesn't hire talent, people do. And um, AI was a buzz at South by Southwest. As you can imagine, it's an IDEA conference in Austin. And uh, when I got invited, I was like, I wonder how many people are going to show up to my four o'clock, you know, Monday uh, conversation. And um, we had, we had, a lot of people. I mean, we were almost full in our room. We had well over a hundred people. And I asked, raise your hand if you're an HR practitioner here today, about a third of the room. I said, raise your hand. I asked a couple other questions, but the last question I asked was, raise your hand if you're just worried about AI. The entire room raised their hand, right? Because with, <laughs> with the launch of ChatGTP in November last, uh, last year in 2022, um, we, we saw that uh, just that wave of people just even understanding that that's a part of our world, although it's been a part of our world for a long time. Yes. Now, there's a difference between ChatGTP and automation and algorithms and machine learning and all those types of things. But I think the point of it is, is that we were making this we were making this kind of argument inside of that presentation that it is a critical partnership. We have to keep humans in the loop. Mm -hmm. Yet this automation, you said it earlier, helps us do the things we're lousy at really well so we can do the things we're great at even better. Um, so talk about kind of, again, your motivations around the book, but more than that, let's talk about some of those big insights that uh, are critical for you to make sure our listeners are hearing. Well, I'll take one right off that. So yeah, the, please. they're not either or, it's not either automation or humans, it's an and solution. Yeah, so love there's that. A, there's a great story in the book that I write about called the, there was this, competition called the Grandmaster Challenge to see if recruiters were better than an algorithm at, at um, sourcing. And so they, they had thousands of resumes in this database. They had three jobs that had actually been filled by real people. They said, okay, let's, who can go through and match up and figure out which people were ultimately hired, interviewed and hired for those jobs. You get points for every correct guess. And after a couple of weeks of keeping the competition open, they closed it, they did the evaluations and the humans won. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, victory. Yeah. So, so a gentleman named Randy Bailey, he's a sorcerer at Walmart. He actually, out of thousands of resumes, got all three correct, which is incredible. The uh, second place, a couple people tied with a couple correct guesses, but not all correct. And then the algorithm came in third. Everyone else was after that. So when I talked to Randy, interviewed him for the book, I said, how long did it take you? He's between 30 and 40 hours. It was a lot of time invested. And so, goodness, that was, he wanted the bragging rights, all the good yeah, stuff, right? Yeah, exactly. So the algorithm 
took less than five seconds to get it, its answers. It was almost immediate. But when I talk to audiences and those listening in, you need to hear this. This isn't about raw human power. We just need a lot of Randys, no. And it's not also handed off, off to the algorithms and just hope for the best because neither of those are gonna be the best option. It's let's let this thing do the first cut and then bring the humans in to do our, use our creativity, our curiosity, right, our compassion, our human skills that the algorithms can't replicate to get to the right answers. And so that was a, a fun thing that I found in the book that I used, to, I used over and over again because of really interesting parallels in medical technology and medical imaging, things like that. So the right. other areas where AI is being used to say, hey, wait a minute, it's not about all this direction or that direction. Let's bring the, both of them together because that's where we're going to get the best results. Overall. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to ask two questions about kind of people in the mix of understanding AI. Why do you think there are organizations and people that are fearful of AI inside of that system? Because I think you elegantly bring this together of saying it's really both and, right? Mm -hmm. It's a partnership. Yes. So I'll tell you that we actually just finished the study asking some of those questions of employers. With all the stuff that's going on in the world, we, we said, okay, are you willing to use algorithms, recruiting automation, AI, as a way to help bridge the gap if it's hard to find recruiters? And a portion of employers told us, absolutely not. We will not ever do that. And so I asked the follow-up of why, what's going on there? And the number one reason that employers told us they would not use algorithms is because they don't want to replace humans with machines. I don't know if that's even a real answer, okay? But I don't think it's any employers out there saying, you know what we really should do? We should replace every single person on a recruiting team with a machine. No one's saying that, okay? Parts of it, parts of it absolutely should be automated, yeah. right? No one in their right mind wants to sit there and schedule 400 interviews and make the calendars aligned. Like, no one wants to do those things. Let's give some of those things off. But the second and third reason were really interesting to me. Things like, we don't want to hurt our employer brand or candidate experience, or it's not ready for common tasks. Well, guess what? Those are problems with the junior recruiter too. And yet we let those junior recruiters yeah out into the wild, like, right. let's hope things work out here. Yeah. So the, the problems people are concerned about when it comes to AI also are problems that we have with people. So we can't just say, oh, I'll never do that because it's an algorithm or because it's a machine, because that's not, that's not gonna fly. Yeah. The last reason, which I thought would be the first reason, honestly, the last reason was the legality. We're not sure what's going on there, right? New York's doing some different stuff around the, the legality of AI and trying to make some rulings on that. The EEOC is trying to look at that. So. Yep those things are fitting into it, but that was the last reason in the list. So there's yeah. a couple things, excuses, reasons, you know, whatever you want to call them for employers saying, we're going to hold back on this. But most of them I'm finding actually looking at the data are not things that they should be holding on to. There, there probably are some reasons they should say they would, they would lean yeah. back, but these aren't the ones. Well, let's, let's talk about that a little bit though. Um, we talked earlier about kind of this idea of people adopting the technology and reasons why they're not doing it. Yes. Um, and so uh, let, I think there is an element where there's gonna be such a sense of urgency to have to get on the bus <laughs> that if you're not getting there and you're not doing the due diligence, you're really gonna be behind. But there's a big hesitancy in the marketplace still today. Um, maybe dive into that just a little bit more. Goodness, the thing, the way that I position it for employers. So if you're listening into this and you're one of those in that boat that says, I'm not sure, I'm, I'm holding off, I'm gonna wait and see, essentially. If you're one of those employers, I, I liken them to, to Blockbuster, essentially, right? In the Netflix arms race years ago, because Blockbuster said, well, well we're, not, we're not ready for that, we're gonna hold off, we're not. And by the time they decided it was time to go all in, it was too late. You yeah. can't run twice as fast, people can't change twice as much, right? There's a physical limit not just a mental limit, a physical limit to how much change people can adopt. Yeah. If you decide, I'm gonna wait, I'm gonna wait, 
by the time you decide to go all in, you, you can't just suddenly tomorrow tell all your people to run twice as fast or 10 times as fast to try to catch up right. to everyone else who's out there. And that's, the, that's one of the ways that I try to position it is we can't, if you want to keep holding off and waiting to see, you are putting a lot of things at risk, not just your reputation or not just you know, the, the ability for your company to, to hire people, but ultimately long-term, as we've seen in the last couple of years, being able to hire the right talent and keep them on board either makes the company succeed or not. Yeah. It limits your ability to operate and function as a business. Yeah. And that's the problem they're gonna start running into at some point. Yeah. Um, you actually used an example earlier around you know using AI in the medical field and yes. be able to actually speed up and be able to make uh, kind of decisions that are really important. Um, I, I've read some things, I like your perspective on, I've read some things about the fact that there's a, there's a counterpoint to that as well, that um, we need to make sure that doctors still have the ability and don't lean on the AI too much, right? And so how do you make sure that they're questioning the outcomes of the tool just as much as kind of the flip, we've been talking yes. a lot about us controlling the AI, but also we have a mentality as human beings that we sometimes will get a little bit lax and go, well, I'll just trust that oh, yes. and stop the logic around really making uh, decisions around the information and then being able to use that amazing human capability that we talk about that AI cannot do in making decisions. Um, are we seeing that the same thing in human capital? Are we worried about that at all, that we just let, let the AI do it? So that is a natural human byproduct. Right? Sure. Our brains want to run on autopilot. They're geared to conserve energy. So whenever we feel like something is is set, is simple, is not, not worrisome, we just just ignore it, which can be a danger. It can so be. I tell the leaders when I when I have a chance to educate them on this, and I do so plenty in the book, like you are the bias experts in the business. And so you've always got to have your flag up when you're looking at new technology, but also when you're there's a new feature, there's a new system, there's whatever else, you have to say, okay, how's it evaluating this? What's it what are the signals it's considering? Like those kinds of things. I Neither you nor I expect these people to be software engineers or data scientists. That's right. Okay, But you are the bias experts. And so when someone says, oh, well, this looks at the zip code someone's in and we're using that, well, guess what? That could fall back to their socioeconomic status if we start to correlate the data. And so the algorithms can find creative ways around problems. We've got to make sure we have a provider that we're using that we can trust and is willing to have conversations. If they say, oh, we've got it taken care of, that's not enough. There's no black box here. You have to be able to break in to yes. understand where the logic is yes. starting from, yes. right? If they can't give you some explanations, again, of the signals, what it's considering, what, what sort of factors are coming to this prediction, then someone else will, right? You gotta find someone else that's gonna make yeah. you, make yeah. you uh, help support that because ultimately, at the end of the day, they may be in the headlines for a few weeks, but your company's gonna be in, in a lot bigger trouble for a longer period of time if you're the one that just closes your eyes and hopes for the best in this. Yeah. And the leaders I listen to usually are not that kind of person. They're, they've built a career because they are trustworthy, because they are attentive to detail, because they are focused on what matters in the bigger picture. So they're not usually the ones that just let their hands off the wheel. Yeah. But I would encourage you that to go back to that. Just like in the last, as an example, in the last couple of years, I've had employers that I've said, hey, have you gone through your own candidate experience recently? Have you seen what that's like? Because if you haven't, probably good for a refresh. Yeah. You, you might find out that it's you're way behind. You thought you were up to speed, you're way behind. Yeah. And the same kind of thing here. Go back through that, look at what that's like, try to explore it. 
right? Get some expert opinions on what's going on there because you just want to make sure you're, everything's above board and you're confident so you can sleep at night knowing the, the right decisions are being made. Yep. Yeah, I think the checks and balance is the critical piece. I love you the fact that you mentioned the fact that you need to have a great partner that's mm -hmm. actually bringing, again, that transparency we've talked about already to the system itself so you understand why decisions and how decisions are being made. The other piece is inside your organization. Set up those advisories. Make sure there's accountability, that you're looking at it often, right? And so that idea of you know keeping a human, keeping humans inside the system and accountable to the system is critical. We can't just turn the system on and just let it go and assume that it's doing the right thing. We can't do that. And I think that's the that's the other piece that gives me encouragement as a HR practitioner and a lead, senior leader is, is that that's really one of my roles. I often joked with some of my other senior leaders at my last company that I know that I'm kind of the speed bump guy here. I'm not trying to be. I never want to put a speed bump where we, we, shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't have it. I want to go as fast as possible, as slow as necessary. So let's make sure that we're doing this right. And I think that's the big encouragement that can build confidence for people that are maybe hesitating to jump into this pool that I think you've elegantly shared with everybody. If you're not in it, you're in big trouble, right? You're behind. You cannot run twice as fast. Love that. And maybe this will give them that confidence that you're still critically important executive being here. You're just going to have to actually learn some new phrases. You're going to learn some new things. You got to go in and you got to sharpen your own pencil so that you can finally dive in here. But once you do, you're going to find out that it's not unlike a lot of the other requirements that uh, were important for your job 10 or 15 years ago. Yes. Nothing different here. Um, it's just new. Yes. Well, to, to tie back to that piece we talked about earlier about the technology is now being seen as a performance enabler for different leaders, right? Not just at a practitioner level. I'm a line level recruiter. I got a rec load, but also for the leaders who are making these decisions. If that is the case, if you if, if that doesn't um, or if that that floats for you, right? That you buy into that, then the rest of these things are also true, and these also are also things you need to be thinking about, skills you need to be building, comfort levels you need to be building, right? So I'm, that's my encouragement is if you're still holding back, I would, again, based on the data we're seeing, a lot more employers are leaning into it or saying this is a, a value for me. One of the fun things for me is we compared this, as I said, to 2021 to see how the data have changed. And a lot more employers said they were leaning in on it. They're, it's adding value. It's making them more efficient as a team. But one of the things that I was most excited by is we looked at, we said, okay, if it's making your team more efficient, how are they spending that time? What are they doing with that? That freed up availability. And two years ago, the number one was we're spending more time sourcing. Now it's we're spending more time building relationships, more time investing into our hiring managers, our leaders, our candidates, really connecting with them. Also, the one that excited me most probably, again, data nerd over here, is we saw focusing on the impact of our talent function on the business jump from fifth place to third place. So more leaders are saying, now I'm able to actually show the impact we're having and prioritize that instead of it just being an afterthought or saying, let's go try to make these things work after the fact. We're actually prioritizing that as a part of how we're looking at the, the greater value we're bringing to the company. Yeah, I love that. So as we kind of close down our conversation, I think you and I could talk uh, a long time uh, on, on this topic alone. Yes. I really love the passion you bring uh, to your insight gathering. Um, and how do you keep energized? Like, what, what is it that keeps you diving back in uh, to this world and changing yourself, right? I didn't, I, you probably weren't thinking about writing a book on AI and HR 10 years ago, but here you are writing it. What keeps you engaged? Uh, why are you excited about uh, this world and supporting the practitioners in it um, today? 
So when I left day-to-day -day HR in 2014, that was one of the commitments that I made, is I'm gonna keep grounded, I'm gonna keep my finger on the pulse, I'm gonna stay connected to that community because I still firmly believe that is the best possible job that there is. I love it, it, it makes my heart joyful when I get a chance to talk to and engage with and support the leaders in that space. And again, you have kind of where that, that dual hat of you're doing yeah. this, but you're also getting support and serve. And so you know what I mean when I talk about that. Anyone listening in, if, you, if you've had that thought like, oh man, I wonder what this, the answer to this question is, but I don't know the answer. I guess I'll just never know. I have the opportunity in the work that I do to find the answer to those questions. And that, that excites me. That is the thing that wakes me up at two o'clock in the morning, making a scribble on the notepad next to yeah. the bed. Like that kind of stuff excites me so much because I get a chance to answer those questions. Most people, other, most other people assume are never going to get an answer. You know, I think one of the reasons we're doing this program is that we all want to get smarter together. And as a researcher and a person who's pouring into this industry, that's certainly the truth for you. So I appreciate your time today. Um, one last thing on an encouragement of a, how can we all get smarter together? What's the next thing that an HR practitioner should do uh, if they're listening to this, uh, this uh, podcast and saying, okay, what do I do now? Uh, my company hasn't jumped into those waters yet and I feel like I'm behind or I'm thinking about leaving because I need new tools to be able to do this work or my company is doing things, but I think there's things that we could be doing that we're just not open to. What's your encouragement? How do we all get smarter together? I think the, the, the key operative word there is together. You can't do it yourself. Get people around you. There's a, a great quote from Jim Rohn that says, you're the average of the, the people you spend the most, most yeah, time with. Yeah. And if you're spending time with people who are saying, well, this is scary, this is dangerous, like we're gonna hold back. Right? There's wisdom in having counsel there, but there's also at some point where you say, hey, wait a minute, they're holding us back from being great, essentially. So yeah. get around some people, build the people around you that are gonna help draw you forward, not hold you back. That would be my encouragement to anyone listening in here. Fantastic last thought, I appreciate it. Ben, great to have you here. Look forward to continuing to interact with you and uh, hopefully, again, both you and I having a passion to impact the world of HR. Uh, I know that we can all do more when we work together. So thanks for the time today. Thank you, Jess, it's been a wonderful pleasure. Wasn't that a good episode? I always learn so much when I get a chance to talk with Ben. And as people leaders, we're busy in the day to day. So it's critical to have someone that can uncover the tools, the technologies and the strategies that employers are using to support the most important asset in any business, which is people. So thanks Ben for that. Here are a few takeaways that I got from my conversation with Ben Eubanks today. The first one is a big trend. Mental health and well-being are bigger and a bigger demand from a benefit standpoint than ever. Ben's research found that employees are improving the benefit, but we still have a long way to go. Something to take back to your company and have that conversation. The second insight is using AI and automation are business imperatives to our success in HR. They're no longer nice to haves, it's critical. So if you're not implementing new tools, you're falling behind. The third insight is data shows that candidates want to be evaluated, not just on the skills they have today, but on their potential for the future and what job matches they could have. Empower this with self-service talent planning tools and empowering leaders with clear, clean data to have meaningful career conversations with their team. This will change the game of job satisfaction and employee retention. Finally, we need to partner AI and people together. It's not either or, it is both and. Keeping humans in the loop allows us to use our creativity, our compassion, our curiosity, and the human skills that AI just can't replicate. 
Finally, Ben finished today by encouraging all of us to do this growth and stretch ourselves together. Surround yourself with innovative thinkers and great partners that aren't worried about the future, but instead want to succeed in the world of talent. Well, that's a wrap for this episode. I'm Jess Elmquist. Thanks for tuning into Smarter. Smarter.